Thank you for choosing our podcast. This is truly an exciting time for City Lights Church, and we are seeing God move in extraordinary ways. For more information on how you can get plugged into what God is doing at City Lights or to financially partner with us, just visit us on the web at citylightsac.org. Stay connected with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us by searching at City Lights AC. Tune in every Sunday as we stream live through Facebook live stream. You may be seated, church. You may be seated. Hey, let's give some love to the worship team if you think they sound good this morning. They got here early this morning. They were here early. They come in, they practice through the week, and then they get here early on Sundays. Hey, listen, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Peyton, and uh, I am one of the leaders here at the church, lead pastor here at City Lots, and um, we are in a new series. We're in week two, but before we do that, I need to start off and share something with you that has bothered me all week long. Before I do that, though, to make myself feel better about myself, I've got to ask you guys a couple questions, okay? No matter what you do for a living, if you're a cook, a stay-at-home mom, school teacher, nurse, paramedic, whatever you do, if you would say, and I'm not saying like you're arrogant, but if you'd say, hey, I'm, at, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, whatever it is you do, you feel pretty confident, would you say, hey, I'm pretty good at what I do for a living or for work, for a skill hobby, yeah. Good. Now, the next question is, how many of you would say that even though I've been doing it a long time or I'm really good at it, I still make mistakes? Good. Well, I feel like, humbly saying, I'm pretty good at what I get to do. I have a lot of good men who coach me, who are developing me, who are helping me critique my gifts and what it means to, to lead a local church as we get into different seasons of ministry and different levels of growth. <clears throat> but I still make mistakes. And uh, on Monday morning, I woke up, last Monday morning, I woke up feeling so convicted about something I said on Sunday. And now, what happens a lot of times for pastors is Monday is like a mood swing uh, because, and I'm just being honest with you, like, if, if the attendance is really high and the offering was really big, then Monday's rock, you know what I mean? But if it was low and there was a lot of people out or something crazy happened, the lights kept flickering or the band messed up, well, Monday can be like, hey, I need to go see, you know, a psychologist today and talk with somebody about it. So it's kind of very up and down. So I typically, if I have a thought on Monday, I try to just press through it and try to get to Tuesday because 90% of the time that thought's gone. You guys feel what I'm saying? But, man, I woke up Tuesday morning feeling so convicted again. I thought about it Wednesday. I began talking with my wife about it. I began calling some of our leaders and talking with them. And I said something on Sunday that I want to apologize to you about. Um, if you weren't here... Um, then I, I'm going to play the clip in just a minute. But if you were here last Sunday, if you were watching last week online, I said something that I just really regret saying because um, when you communicate, and I'm not giving, listen, I'm not justifying right now. I'm just explaining. When you communicate as much as I do on a weekly basis, you're inevitably going to say some things that, man, that was really dumb. Why did I say that? But this I regret saying because I wanted to make sure, I, today I want to make sure that people understood what I meant. We started this series called Love Is, and, and we're going through uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, the love chapter. And last week, <clears throat> we covered one of the verses that said that love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. And I gave this illustration about how I was extremely hateful and irritable to my kids uh, the weekend before. That I'm not sorry for because they make that, that stuff happens. But then I talked about how I apologized to my daughter later on that night. And I said, you know what? Hey, she forgave me. 
Um, and the truth is, she'll most likely, she probably will forget because she's a kid. And I was talking about the context of what it means to forgive and forget. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it pains me to even hear myself say what I'm fixing to say. But play that clip from last week. I want you guys to hear it. Because see, love does not keep a record of being wrong. Now, you've said it. You've heard it. If you're in the South, you can't get away from it. Buddy, I can forgive them, but I can't forget. Well, Listen. I love you. You know that I do. But don't you profess to follow Jesus if you actually believe that. That was the comment I made last week. I said, please don't profess to follow Jesus if you actually believe that you can forgive but not forget. And I wanted to tell you, church, that I'm sorry for saying that because that's not what I meant. I, didn't mean, I did not mean exactly what I said. And I think what happens sometimes is... When you know your people, when you know who you're communicating to, it's almost like there's this little bit of grace that's given, like, hey, they understand who you are. They understand your motives. But we are a church that's constantly reaching new people. And I just wanted to apologize and explain what I meant by that. It is biblical to forgive and forget. But I did not mean don't profess to follow Jesus if you don't do that. Really what I should have said is, hey, please if you're following Jesus, try to live that out to where you forgive and forget. I know what it's like to have people hurt you and not be able to forget about it. And so I just wanted to apologize to you for that, for saying that. That's not what I meant. And uh, if that offended anyone or maybe you're like, hey, man, I don't even remember you saying that. But it convicted me all week. And uh, I just wanted to apologize to you for that and explain myself a little bit better. Um, in fact, uh, this morning, I'm hoping that I don't make that mistake again. But nonetheless, I always want to be transparent and real with you guys and let you know that, hey, I, I make mistakes as well, and I want to own that. So um, for those of you who love me anyway, thank you so much. This week, we are in week two of Love Is, and I want to talk with you this morning about this idea that love is more than romance. Listen, here I go, here I go. Nothing like apologizing than talking about sex in church, right? Part two, love is more than romance. We've been going through and we will continue to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is the love chapter. It is the love chapter. And uh, what's funny is every time I post something about this, all the women like my post, but hardly any men do. So I'm not what's going on there. I'm not sure what's going on there, but we're, co we're covering this idea that love is so much more than what we think it is. And, uh, and Paul, he gives us a great example of what it means to love. And I want to set up the context again because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives everybody gifts, okay? And then in 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about prophecy and these other gifts. But right smack dab in the middle, he's talking about love. And in fact, he ends 1 Corinthians 12 talking about, hey, these gifts are great. But if you desire the greater gifts, I'll show you that. And he goes right into love. And what we're seeing here is that love is the greatest gift. Let me say this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit contain the message, if you will. But it's love itself is the work. That's the work is to love people. You know, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And Jesus was asking the New Testament, which one's the greatest? Seems like a daunting task, right? And he said, no, it's actually pretty easy. You just love God and you love people. Sometimes I feel like we get focused on the other 611, 612, when it's really just about love. So this idea, this idea today that love is more than romance, I think when we, when we think about love, a lot of times we think about relationships, we think about romance, and love is romantic, but it's so much more than romance. In fact, there in the original language 
Uh, it was called Koine Greek back in this first century time. There were four words that were used for love. Now, only three of them are found in the New Testament because I want you to be really smart. I'm going to share them all with you, okay? Four words. First one is eros. And these are, this, by the way, this is the Clinton, Tennessee pronunciation, okay? And just make sure you're aware of that. And this is an erotic or sexual love. This is, going to be in, this is going to be in marriages. It should be in marriages. But this is a type of love that's very physically driven. The next one is storge. And this is a, a love that might be found between a parent and a child. Or you could say like family members in general. I know some of you don't love all your family members. But if you do, that's kind of like a, a storge love. It's kind of this way relational between family and parent and children. And then you've probably heard of this one. This is called phileo. This is a deep friendship or a deep affection. And this is the highest love capable of man without God's help. This deep affection. This would be in marriages as well. Just this deep affection, almost like you feel like, I mean, I know there are some adults that do it, but it's almost like those teenagers sometimes when they go through that first breakup, and they're like, oh, he was him or she was the one. They're, you know, they go crazy and like, you know, start acting psychotic and stuff like that and make your parents worried. It's that deep, deep affection. This is the highest capable love that you can achieve on your own without God helping you. So there's a sexual love, there's a, a parental love, there's this deep affection love. And then what Paul is talking about in this chapter, you've also probably heard of this as well, it's called agape. Agape love. And this is that unconditional love, like no strings attached, no matter what you do, no matter, it, no matter the circumstances, the love is unconditional. This kind of love right here is not based upon you, it's based upon him. And we would be wise as Christ followers to make sure we share that message, but also remember that God loves us not because of anything we do, because of who he is, because God is love. And that's hard for us to fathom because a lot of the loves we experience are the other way around. They're driven based off, is it reciprocated? Is there a response? But this love has nothing to do with us. It's all about him. <clears throat> and this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, this unconditional love that it's hard to explain, and I've been studying for this because love is very mysterious. It's very mysterious, and it's hard to explain. And as I was reading, one guy said this. He said, love is like finding a really beautiful flower and wanting to know everything about it, the inside and the makeup of it. But to get to the inside, you've got to rip the beauty up. And that's really how love is. It's hard to explain. And the deeper you go, the messier it can get. And you feel like, you know, you just try to get to explaining something that was really just best off like, Man, let's just kind of leave it a little bit mysterious. But I think God's got a good word for us today. And so, again, we're going through 1 Corinthians 13, just a couple verses at a time. And I think that there's um, a good message for us today. But I want to make sure we understand that Paul is talking about unconditional love and that when we think of love, it's so much more than romance. And this week we find ourselves in verse 6 through 8, or 6 through 8, and I want to just um, dive into this. It says, remember, Paul's talking about love is patience, kind, it's not boastful, it's not proud. He just got through saying all that. And then he goes into, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Have you guys ever watched any of those documentaries about people that get falsely imprisoned or wrongly convicted? Anybody? Well, I love shows like that. Um, there was a man in 1977. His name is Lawrence McKinney. That photo is not from 1977, but 
1977, this man named Lawrence McKinney lived in Memphis. In October 2nd, 1977, a very tragic assault happened on a woman that lived nearby him. Multiple men broke into her home, sexually assaulted her, and burglarized her home. Weeks later, she identified him as one of the men who participated in that gang sexual assault. The following year in June of 1978, he was convicted of that and served, excuse me, sentenced to 100 years in prison. This dude was 23 years old when that came down. 23 years old. Now listen, 100 years is not a technical life sentence, but you know he was never going to see the light of day. Well, what happened was in 2008, due to new DNA technology advancement, they retested some DNA and found that there were three, uh, three DNAs found there, none of which matched his. And so they immediately said, hey, obviously this man is not guilty. We've made a mistake. He served 31 years in prison. The day he got out, the state of Tennessee gave him a $75 check. Lawrence McKinney was quoted as saying, it took me three months to cash it because I didn't even have an ID. Now, how is it that we, no matter your race or sex or ethnic background, it's things like this that when, when justice, the truth wins out, we feel compassion for this man, though we've never served 31 years in prison. Maybe, probably not, though. Many of you have never been falsely accused of sexual assault. Rape is what it was, just to be honest with you. And he wore that stigma. And he, 31 years. He was 22 when that crime happened, 23 when he was convicted. Listen, you think about this right now, for those of you. If I told you you were going to spend the next 31 years in prison, you'd almost rather die. And then what happened is this. They say that he's innocent, he gets released, and then it's kind of a joke. They give him a $75 check. Well, what happens then is, in order to receive compensation, which I feel like people like this are due when they've spent 31 years of their life wrongly convicted, he must be exonerated. In Tennessee, and this is still true right now, only the governor, Bill Haslam, can do that. It's, it's the way that our justice system is set up. Only Bill Haslam, only the governor of Tennessee can exonerate, which means it's fully gone. His record in 2014 got expunged, but in order for him to file a lawsuit... To, re excuse me, to reap compensation up to a million dollars. Well, so let's just be honest. Who of you would go to prison for 31 years just to get a million dollars? Let's not act like that's a lot of money. He has to be exonerated. But when he went before the parole board, which is how it's established right now for people to get exonerated, they denied that. And one of the reasons they said they had a tough time doing it, yes, okay, the DNA proved him innocent, but he had 97 infractions while in prison over 31 years. And, also, and I got to thinking, hey, do you blame a man for being ticked off for serving 31 years and you want to act like 97 infractions is a big deal? That's injustice, right? But how can we feel so passionate about that? See, because love is more than romance. It's more, it's more than individual. It reaches across the spectrum of humanity. 
That's how we can look at Lawrence McKinney and we can feel compassion for him. And we can say, man, yeah, truth won out. He was found innocent and he should be. And that's how we, we, we feel this idea of, are we, we were able to feel deep inside of us that, yes, victory won that day. Love won that day. Because it's so much more than just individual based. There's this bigger spectrum of love that's happening. Paul says this in the next verse. He says, and there's some words in here that I wish Paul wouldn't have used, and I'm going to talk about them. But he says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. When Paul says never gives up, never loses faith, it's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. See, this is how I wish Paul would have said it like this. Love tries to never give up tries to never lose faith, tries to be always hopeful, and most of the time endures through every circumstance. That's what I wish Paul would have said, because then I could have been like, yeah, Paul. But then what we see then when he says that it never loses faith, it never gives up, and endures through every circumstance, that love calls us to go farther and deeper than you could ever imagine. Now, here's what I want to explain about this to kind of help this. Make this personal for some of you. Paul's telling us that the love that we know of is oftentimes based off circumstances and feelings, but he's telling us there's this unconditional love that, and it never gives up. It never loses faith. And it endures through every circumstance. Now let me ask you something, or tell you, maybe both. You show that verse, and hear me out before you make any judgments about what I'm saying. You show that verse to someone who's been divorced. Did love endure through their circumstances? Did love give up? Did it lose faith? Seemingly, yes, seemingly. But one of the pictures that Paul's painting here is that love is so much bigger than one individual. It's almost like its own entity, if you will. That's how, that's how people who have been in devastating relationships that have ended can go on <clears throat> and find new love. And they can find real love again because it's, it's so much more than just a romance. It's so, it's so much bigger than anything we could ever experience one-on-one. It is great, and I have, like, my wife and I am more in love with her now than I've ever been in my life, and I hope to tomorrow love her more than I did today and in five years and in ten years and so forth and so on. I hope to always increasingly choose to love her more and more and more and more. But it's bigger than her and I. We just kind of get to be a part of it. And so the best way that we can understand that love calls us to go further and deeper, and it's hard because, listen, when people don't love us back when we've been hurt, when we've been angry, when we've been devastated and disappointed and ripped off and stomped on, we don't want to go farther and deeper. In fact, here's what we want to do. We want to recluse and isolate farther and deeper away. So the best way to understand what Paul is saying here is like this. Jesus never gives up. Jesus never loses faith. Jesus always is always hopeful, and Jesus endures through every circumstance. For us to understand this agape 
of. We have to look at the Savior. That is the picture and the representative of the love that we're talking about. See, love is so much more than just this. It is this. It is to love God and to love people. But to understand what it means to go farther and deeper, you have to put Jesus' name here. Now, I want to ask you something rhetorical. I want to flip the script on you, and I want to put you in a little bit of tension. And I'm going to ask you a question. I, want you to, I would love in your mind, you know, don't answer out loud, but is it going to seem ridiculous? Or is it like, yeah, actually, I'm almost there. What would happen if you put your name where Jesus' name is? You know, I hate when people talk about themselves in third person, but the example would be <laughs> Peyton never gives up. Peyton never loses faith. If you put your name there, would that be like, it's ridiculous, man, I'm nowhere near that. Or would it be like, I'm actually pretty close. Today, tomorrow, love is calling you to go further and deeper than you could ever imagine. And you understand that that is the thing that makes that is what completes us all. First off, the love of the Father. It's, it's from Him. Some of you are looking to some, you're looking to a person when you need to be looking to your Savior. You're looking to possessions when you need to be looking to the person of God. I shared a quote last week by, by a guy named um, George Sandin. He said, basically, the greatest thing in this life is to love and to be loved. And that's what we want, is to be loved. At the end of the day, we want to know, man, am I loved? Do I have people that love me? And so the best way for us to understand this is that it's calling us to go deeper. Then, then love is not just, um, love is just not singular. It's not just in one relationship. It's almost like this. I'm going to share at the end. I'm trying to set myself up now to remember that. But it's so much bigger than any one individual and that's how we can look at this and understand that there are times when love seemingly loses its faith, when it doesn't endure through every circumstance in one relationship, but it does not mean that love has died there. Paul goes on. This is a pretty profound word. You must remember that he's put this chapter, the love chapter, right between the two spiritual gifts. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages... And special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. So here again, there, there's this, this tension of, we look at this and see, okay, man, there again, don't raise your hand. Is there someone in your life right now that you don't love anymore, that once upon a time you said you did? And so you can look at that and be like, no, love doesn't last forever. But love will last forever. And here's, I want to just kind of just, just for a moment tap into the importance of what's happening. What he's saying here is the Corinthian church, and then I'm going to tie it into today's church, they were really big on like the spiritual gifts. And I don't know if you know Christians like that, but they're like, and it's okay, but they're like, man, I want the gifts of God. I want all that he has for me. I want to speak in it in unknown languages or tongues, or, and I'm going to prophesy, and I want all God has for me. And you should. Because he has a lot for you. But what Paul was telling them, see, they were, they were wrapped up in the works, in the gifts, thinking that was a sign of maturity. When really what Paul is saying, hey, man, that stuff, those things are good. But that's not what matters most. And so when, it, when, you, when we think of like today's church, 
I think of like there's like three things going on. We have preferences in today's church, right? Many of you are here today because you prefer something about this church or uh, there's something happening here that you enjoy, that you like, that you connect to. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They had preferences for certain gifts and they wanted them in the present time. And so you're here this morning because something presently is affecting you on a weekly basis. It's like, I'm gonna come back or I'm connected here. But how many of you know this gathering right here, not, hopefully not for a long time, maybe until Jesus comes back, will end at some point. It will end. We plan on being open next week, this Thursday for summer nights. But I'm just saying at some point, this building will just, but you know what won't end? Love. And so what Paul's saying, hey, I know you've got these preferences. In church, I'm telling you, I know you have these preferences. And I know that you presently want them and desire them. But listen, the only thing that's permanent is love. That's the only thing that's permanent. And we can ask ourselves and look at it like this. Reality proves that love doesn't, hang with me, always last. Because why? Marriages often end in divorce. Friendships often end because of differences. Differences. Um, relationships often end because of dissension, arguments. So they separate. And if you've ever been in a relationship, you know sometimes that romance just dies. Amen, anybody? It's not always a bad thing when, when things die. You know, there could have been no resurrection without the crucifixion, right? So sometimes things have to die before real life can happen. But we know that reality shows us. Like, we can read these scriptures, and we think sometimes that love is it's based off this way right here. But we know divorce. We know that friendship's in. We know that relationships, dissension, and that romance die. So then we must, we must ask ourselves a diagnostic question, and that is, how, how does love Last forever when it often dies in between people. Have you ever heard people, or maybe you know, you've seen a movie or something where, like, you know, some kind of relationship ends, or a divorce happens, or they break up, or boyfriend or an engagement ends, and they say something like, Am I ever going to find love again? So we must ask ourselves then, how does love last forever? Now, my wife and I were talking about this on the way home from Townsend yesterday, and she said she understood it. So I'm going to try my best to explain it to you. But this really would be the bottom line of the message today, that love lasts forever because love is atmospheric. Love is atmospheric. And let me explain that. <clears throat> An atmosphere, there's the science side of it, which is it's the gases around the earth or the planet, or it's also a pervading mood or tone in a place or room or situation. And so right now I could say the atmosphere is very serious. You guys are you're locked in with me. To say that love is atmospheric means atmospheric conditions are part of the atmosphere. So today we could say the atmospheric conditions are it's calm, it's sunny. But because of, now if you're a Christ follower, that's what I'm talking about. The realm that we live in is heavenly. The realm that we live in is heavenly. Then the conditions are right for love to be atmospheric. It's all around us. It's in the newborn baby in ICU. 
It's in a picture of Lawrence McKinney knowing his story without even knowing him or what he's been through. We rejoice when truth wins out. Love is atmospheric in terms of the conditions are always around us to love God and to love people and to choose that. So love lasts forever because it goes beyond just you and I. It's so much greater than just me and Ariel. It's so much greater than my babies, Jude and Harper. It's atmospheric. It's all around us. And so we see then for sure that love is more than romance. It's atmospheric. It's heavenly. Today, the conditions are right for you to choose love for your brothers and sisters, for someone hurting. This evening at 530, we're going to celebrate some people that are going from death to life through baptism. And you should be there to love on them, though you don't know some of them. But the conditions are right in our atmosphere. There's this pervading mood and tone from the Father that says, hey, choose love. Choose to be like Jesus in spite of who we are. And so here's what I want to challenge you with today. Who in your life, who in your past, who in your future is it that you just really need to love? And you can love them while working to forget what they've done. You can love someone who harmed you. Who is it today that you need to do a better job at loving because you understand that you get to be a part of love? You get to be a part of this atmospheric thing that's happening. And when I say, who is it in the future that you need to love? I'm talking to the single people. And the, most greatest, the greatest question I could ask you today is, are you living today like the person that you want to meet tomorrow? Are you living like the person you're looking for? Who is it that you need to choose to love that goes beyond this emotional feeling and then lastly, who is it in here that just needs to respond to the love of the Father? Because it says, we are only able to love because he first loves us. And maybe, you re- maybe you're like the, the church at Corinth and you're saying, hey, I want all these things. Nothing wrong. I want these gifts. I want the fullness of God. I want a raise. I want a promotion. Nothing wrong with that. Paul's like, hey, man, those, those things are good. And I know it's your preference. But what's permanent is the love of the Father. And maybe you just need to receive that and understand that it's unconditional. It's not sexual. It's not relational. It's not based off your works. He just wants to give it to you. Maybe you just need to receive that. And you need to capture that affection again. And understand that this atmosphere, the conditions, the realm that we live in, a rock to experience that today. Will you pray with me? Father, you are so good, and we thank you that you love us in spite of who we are, that you love us anyway, that you love us, that you're a good, good father, that you choose to love us, Lord, in spite of ourselves and our sin and our, our flaws, our failures. There are many of us here this morning, God, and we have been hurting when it comes to love. We've lost a relationship. One ended when we thought it was going to stay together. We were 
we question, will we ever find this mysterious thing called love when really it's found in you? God, as the pastor of City Lots Church, I pray that you would continue to cultivate in my heart a heart of humility, uh, of just even weakness, knowing that I can boast in you alone only, but only, only, Lord, only in you can I find a heart that's capable of, of loving other people because mine is, is calloused, it's bruised, it's damaged. And I know there are many other people out here sitting like that, Lord, that are like, that their hearts have been hurt by love or they're scared. They're, they're in a relationship right now and they, they just seemingly like love is not growing. God, would you show us today that love is more than romance? It's bigger than any one of us that we get to be a part of it, that we choose to be a part of this thing called love that you established at the beginning of time when you created us that it's atmospheric, the conditions are right today to choose it, to be a part of it, to experience it. That it does not rejoice in injustice, Lord. We, we celebrate with men like Lawrence and McKinney. Because when the truth comes out, when the truth wins, love. God, be with marriages today, husbands and wives. in the midst of raising families and how difficult that can be. God, be with the single lady, the single woman here this morning, seeking for a man on this earth to fill that void. God, show her that it's more than romance and that you want that for her, but today, God, show her that the love is in you. For those who have been divorced or they're hurting or they're seeking again, Show them that it's atmospheric. It's in the, it's, the conditions are right to find that love, Lord, to find it again because it's greater than any one relationship, any one individual. Ultimately, Lord, show today that the love is found in you. We stand and sing with this church. Hey, this is Pastor Peyton, and I just wanted to personally say thank you for connecting with us on our podcast and listening to today's message. I pray that God spoke to you. I pray that you're hearing him, that God is showing you the way in his plan for your life and how great that is. And more importantly, I hope that you take what you learn and you put it into action where you live, work, and play. Again, thank you so much, and God bless you.